0: Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Center.
1: Well, good morning and uh, firstly thank you so much for having me uh, come and share with you this morning. Obviously it's far more um, enjoyable if I can be physically present with you and um, always enjoy my trips to Amblecote, really feel the warmth of your fellowship and community. Um, but it's a real joy to be able to share something this morning that I hope both um, inspires you, encourages you, as well as gives you um, some clarity and focus for your prayers. I want to say a huge thank you on behalf of um, our persecuted family around the world who you've been supporting so faithfully over this year. And thank you so much and thank you for uh, just your commitment to be praying. It, it makes such a huge amount um, of difference and I'm regularly told and informed of the value and the difference that it is making. Uh, Paul writes to the Christians in Rome of how he longs to be with them physically so that he can impart a blessing. But he also says so that we can be mutually encouraged in, in faith. And I can't be physically with you, but I hope that something that I share encourages you in faith as you hear about the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters around the world. And it's that meeting together and it's that mutual encouragement of faith that is the reason that the writer of Hebrews says, Guys, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Don't give up the habit of meeting together. Prioritise the value of meeting together because when we meet together, we support one another, we strengthen one another, we sharpen one another. And I want to encourage you in the same way as I know you've been looking at Nehemiah recently and there's that challenge, isn't it, to stand in the gap for one another, you know, so that the purposes of God are built up. I want to encourage you that that is a a local church dynamic, that we stand in the gap family to family, brother to brother, sister to sister. We strengthen one another and we carry each other's burdens. But also as part of the body of Christ globally, we're called to stand in the gap with one another to strengthen one another, to support one another, to sharpen one another's faith. So I hope that what I share this morning has that impact for you. I wanna start off by sharing the story of uh, Penina from Kenya. Uh, There's lots in in this story that I think uh, you'll find provoking and challenging. Just to say, all of the stories of the Suffering Church are to do with suffering uh, and that can be upsetting. So there's nothing gratuitous in this story, but it can be upsetting. Also, literally, this arrived yesterday. We've not had a chance to edit it in the way we normally would for this environment. So apologies for some of the rawness um, of the story. Um, But let me just start off with this and then I'll pick up after this story.
0: Instead of taking care of the widowed young woman, as custom dictates, Panina and her son were abandoned by her in-laws. Incapable of providing for herself, she returned to her parents' house. There she found comfort in the arms of her mother. The murder of her son-in-law left Panina's mother also with doubts and questions. A friend of Penina introduced the young widow to open doors. We invited her to trauma awareness training and trauma care, and also to some discipleship training. Open Doors also paid for vocational training where Penina learnt how to sew and to design dresses. But just before she'd finished her training and was about to receive the certificate she needed to start her own shop, the Covid-19 pandemic forced schools to shut down all activities. To Penina, it feels like she is back to square one. She now stays at home with her parents, but life is difficult. Her father is a day labourer and these days there are hardly any day jobs. Open Doors has provided this family with food and emergency aid that will last a few months. We also gave Panina a sewing machine to start working.
1: I don't know how you felt listening to that story, listening to Panina's story. I felt both deeply moved, um, but also deeply challenged and provoked by Panina's story, uh, provoked by the reality of the circumstances of persecuted Christians like Panina who live consistently with that kind of experience and but also deeply provoked by the challenges of COVID that they are living with and we've all uh, in a moment where we're globally united in an experience with COVID but again our experience of that is very very different. I was reflecting the other day as I had the freedom to walk in the local park with the snow I've just you know lockdown a limitation of COVID just an hour of exercise but still, the freedom to, to walk in the park, uh, the freedom of my faith, and there's so many things it is easy and um, to take for granted. And I found Pannainas story really provoking, provoking of my conscience that it is so easy to unintentionally and unconsciously become indifferent to the reality of others' suffering. And I find peninus were really provoking that all around the world, every year, not just in the midst of COVID, uh, 340 million Christians are living, suffering uh, for the gospel, suffering because of their pursuit of Jesus, and it really provoked my conscience to to not live in a just a self-centered way. I also found it really provoked my perspective, and it's really easy that we can become quite tunnel visioned, or, or we filter everything through our life experience, and sometimes we need the perspective of others. To not diminish our experience, it's important that we own our own experience. You know, many of us are living with uh, some of the challenges and the losses, the limitations of lockdown, and it affects us all in very different ways. But also it can be really helpful to have others' perspectives, just to bring balance to our perspective. And so we are not just building up our view uh, from a a self-centered perspective. I also found uh, Panayana really provoking in terms of my sense of purpose. Her husband Paul's statement, if you want to kill me, I'll remain in Jesus. And if you let me go, I'll still remain in Jesus. That sense of purpose is so profound and so provoking. And it's so easy that we begin to define our purpose And based on the here and now that we start living for the security, we start living uh, to leave a legacy maybe for our loved ones or we are living just to stabilise ourselves and to earn things. And yet there's that provocation through stories like Penina's that causes us again to be reminded that we're called to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Also really provoked by Penina's story, just their pursuit of God in the midst of it. And I felt really provoked to press into God, to pursue God because of her example, because of the example of Penina's family. And I don't know if hearing Penina's name triggered anything for you. When I first heard Penina's name, I was reminded of the Old Testament story of Penina. And Penina uh, was married to Elkanah and Elkanah also had another wife, again Talk to Tim about the theology of that. Uh, but uh, Hannah was also Elkanah's wife and Hannah was barren. She wasn't able to have children, whereas Penina was able to bear children. for Hannah, that was a source of suffering and shame in the culture that she was in. Her barrenness was a burden of shamefulness. And uh, and it says that P- Penina provoked Hannah uh, because of her barrenness. And yet in response to that provocation, in response to Penina's provocation, it's that Hannah pressed into the presence of God. Hannah went to the house of the Lord and petitioned God that he would release her from her barrenness. And interestingly, at the time of Hannah's barrenness, it was also a time of barrenness really for the people of Israel. Uh, it's written that in that time, the word of the Lord was rare. And Israel had learned to be led by the word of the Lord, the direction of God, the direct leadership of God through uh, intercessors, mediators and the judges at that time. And yet in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There was uh, just a lack of guidance and leadership and clarity, a lack of the proximity and the presence of God. And yet all of that changed through the Lord's answer to Hannah's prayer as Hannah is provoked by Penina and presses into God uh, the Lord hears her prayer delivers her of her barrenness and the result of that fruitfulness is Samuel and Samuel it says the Lord restored his voice to Israel through Samuel that he was someone his name means you know um, heard of God and through Samuel, the voice of the Lord was restored to Israel. The leadership of God was restored to Israel. The presence leading the people of God was restored to Israel. And we also know that Samuel went on to anoint David. And there was prophecies of through David's line, the Messiah would come. And we now know, looking back on that whole story, that Jesus is the promised Messiah in the line of David. Now, I'm not trying to say that all of that, you know, is as a result of Pine Island's provocation. But there was a series of events where Penina provoked Hannah, Hannah's response to that provocation was to press into God. And as a result of that pressing into God, there's a restoration of the presence of God. And barrenness is removed and fruitfulness is restored. And I find provocations like Penina's, provocations like that story, provoke me to not be indifferent and ambivalent and apathetic, but they provoke me to a renewed perspective, provoke me to a renewed pursuit of God, and provoke me to a renewed sense of purposefulness. And sometimes we need paninis prov- to provoke us. We need Paninas to provoke our perspective. We need Paninas to provoke our sense of purpose. And we need Paninas to provoke our pursuit of God. Paul writes to, to the Philippians and Paul is somebody who's in prison. He writes in Philippians 1, 12, he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's experience of persecution has become a provocation to the Philippians to to become more purposeful, uh, more pressing into the presence of God, more faithful to God. You know, Paul's persecution is a provocation uh, to the people of God to press into God. And in the same way, I think people like Penina are persecuted brothers and sisters. They are a gift to us to provoke us to press into God, to provoke us with our sense of purpose, to provoke us uh, with a a renewed perspective. Sop from Laos, uh, Laos in Southeast Asia. Uh, He's somebody he grew up with in a country where, uh, you know, there wasn't freedom uh, to follow Jesus. Uh, One day he overheard a neighbor's radio broadcast and heard the gospel and that gospel encounter led to the transformation of his life and his trajectory and when the uh, the leader of his village found out, you know, he was given an ultimatum: Sop, you either give up this Jesus or you give up this community. And Sop said, I cannot give up Jesus, and therefore he was uh, his fields were burned, his house was vandalized, and eventually he was forced out of the village. But Sop writes this: He says, I'm always reminded that if people try to kill me for my faith, the Bible says not to be afraid. They can kill my body. That not my soul they can kill my body but not my soul Now i don't know about you but hearing stop story there's a provocation in there there's a provocation to purposefulness there's a provocation to to the pursuit of the presence of god there's a provocation to our perspective that causes us to live in the here and now differently Mushtaba who's uh, become a really good friend of mine uh, from Iran again he came to Jesus through the provocation of the transformation of life of his brother that's a whole other story but he came from a Muslim background came to faith and began to then share his faith to the point there's then a small little gathering of friends who'd all become followers of Jesus. One day as they were meeting illegally to worship God, to pray, to read their Bible, uh, their home group was raided by the police. Magetable was blindfolded and taken off to isolation and to interrogation. And for 30 days, he was interrogated in an isolation. And he said there were moments where he despaired of his circumstance, but he was reminded that nothing can separate him from the love of God. He's reminded of the Psalms where it says, where can I go from your presence? You are there. And us said this, he says, it doesn't matter what situation I'm in, I can work in God's kingdom wherever God places me. It doesn't matter if it is in prison or out of prison, because persecution will take the gospel to the places where nothing else can do it. And for Mushtabah, this sense of encounter with Jesus in the midst of his persecution and suffering provoked him to a life of purpose, to a renewed perspective, to a pressing into the presence of God. And he describes that while he was in prison, he realised that there were those there that if it wasn't for him being there, would not hear the gospel and he shared the gospel with them and incredible stories that if I get a chance to come and share with you sometime I will do of the Lord transforming people's lives on death row who come to faith in Jesus and then are killed but they are going to eternal glory again stories like this they provoke our sense of purposefulness they provoke our pressing into the presence of God and they provoke our perseverance I found um The honesty in Penina's story, um, so helpful. The honest questions that she asks of God and and much to in that story in prison. Initially, there's your questions, God, where are you? Where have you left me? God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says on the cross, David writes in the Psalm. And there is a reality that when we are in situations that feel dark, that feel difficult, that feel um, oppressed, that there are these questions, God, and those questions are really important. And the honesty is so, so helpful for us to engage with. And actually, sometimes in the midst of persecution, some Christians fall away from from God. Their faith is is tested in the fire, but also others' faith is refined, and people are uh, re-engaged with the, the the vitality of their faith. We read, don't we, with Jesus and his disciples, that there's a point where they're being presented with the cost you know Jesus says if they persecute me they will persecute you you will have troubles in this world and 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 there's this whole story where many disciples are starting to um, give up on Jesus because the cost feels so great and he says to his disciples are you also going to leave and they're like part of us wants to this is a difficult path and yet they've also been provoked by a, a different reality and they say Jesus, only you have the words of eternal life. Something has been awoken in them of a purposefulness. Their perspective has been forever changed. They've had an encounter with the presence of God that causes them to see things differently. And our brothers and sisters facing persecution, they provoke us and they remind us of these things. They encourage us to press into God. In the second book of of, uh, Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthians of his experience. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he goes on, says we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting our way. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And Paul is encouraging the Corinthians who are at one step removed from the reality of persecution. He is somebody who is being persecuted and in that persecution, his perspective is refined. His sense of purpose is refined. His dependence on the presence of God is refined and his story then provokes them. In their experience, in their experience, he provokes them. You know, in your affliction, you're not crushed. In your perplexment, you're not driven to despair. In your persecution, you're not forsaken. When you're being struck down, you're not destroyed. There's this encouragement, this provocation that comes from people who find the faithfulness of God, no matter their circumstances, that we really need. And as you've been looking at Nehemiah recently, and you've been looking at the vitality um, of the body needing one another, we need to stand in the gap for one another. We need that on a local level. We need to carry one another's burdens. We need to stand in the gap so that the purposes of God are established and the, and the person God are built. But also as part of the global body of Christ, we need one another. Our brothers and sisters facing persecution, they desperately need us. They need our prayers. They need our support. They need our speaking out. But also I think we need our brothers and sisters. We need the strength and the sharpening of their faith. We need to be encouraged by them. I want to encourage you that if you're not currently connected uh, with the persecuted church, use the QR code on on screen here. Just scan it with your mobile phone and it will take you to a page on our website where you can read more stories uh, of persecuted Christians. There's a space there for you to write a prayer. Uh, you can uh, register to get regular updates and information find other ways to get connected and support Uh, and also there's a place on there where you can request a a world watch list that will give you an overview of the whole of the story of the last year for the persecuted church and I really want to encourage you do get that and do pray through it it's deeply compelling and provoking Uh, As I finish now, I want to just leave you with a final video which overviews the top 10 places around the world and that it is most uh, challenging to follow Jesus, where 340 million Christians um, are living out their faith. One in eight Christians around the world uh, faces persecution. Every day, 12 Christians around the world are killed. Every day, 12 churches around the world are destroyed. So please watch this video. Maybe you'll spend some time praying afterwards. It will fuel your prayers this week. Uh, Thank you so much for having me share with you. Thank you for giving me your time. Thank you for your response uh, to this. I pray great blessings on you. And I'm so grateful on behalf of your persecuted brothers and sisters for the way that you have stood with them this year. Thank you so much.
2: What if your church had to meet in secret? What if spies watched your every move? What if following Jesus meant you faced violence or even death? Millions of Christians around the world experience these kinds of challenges every day. And these are the top 10 countries where faith costs the most. Number 10, India. Hindu extremists want to rid India of Christians and they are prepared to use extreme violence to achieve their goal. At number nine, Nigeria where more Christians are murdered for their faith than in any other country in the world. Iran is at number eight. Secret house churches risk being raided by the police. If caught, be prepared for a long prison sentence. Number seven, Yemen, a war-torn country where Christians, if discovered, face the death penalty. Eritrea is at number six. If your faith is discovered, you can be imprisoned without trial in appalling conditions. Often, your loved ones don't even know if you're still alive. Number five, Pakistan. Say the wrong thing in Pakistan, and the notorious blasphemy laws could see you accused of insulting Islam and sentenced to death. At number four is Libya. A lawless land with no freedom of speech or belief. Somalia is number three on the list. Somali Christians can't reveal their faith to anyone or they could be killed, even by their own families. Number two is Afghanistan. If they find out you're a Christian, you have a stark choice. Flee the country or be killed. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Informants are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labor camp. At least 340 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. What if you could help them? For 65 years, Open Doors has stood alongside the persecuted church, strengthening Christians who dare to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Your prayers and gifts enable our underground networks to reach millions of Christians with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. But more than that, your support means that persecuted Christians know that they are not forgotten, not alone. After all, these are not strangers and they are not statistics. They are our brothers and sisters and they need our help.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Ambercote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, www. Amblecote Christian